Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And if you haven't started watching the ghosts of Devil's Perch on the Travel Channel or Discovery Plus, it's not too late. The eight-episode series is about to drop episode number four on Sunday night. But you got time to catch up before it airs. You're definitely going to want to do the catch-up because this is not your typical paranormal investigation series. Long-time Talk is Jericho guest, Chris Jericho, rock and wrestling ranger at sea, guest and host of the Paranormal 60, Dave Schrader. Is part of the investigative team that includes psychic medium Cindy Kaza and ghost expert and gadget guy K.D. Stafford. The threesome and their camera crew holed up in Butte, Montana for three months and turned their connected paranormal encounters into this eight-episode series. Three of them are on the show today to talk about their experiences in Butte and why they think this old, historic mining town might be the most haunted place on Earth. There's over 100 years of murder, greed, lust, despair, and betrayal that lay the groundwork for the spirits looking for vengeance and redemption. They explain why the geography that Butte's built on is the perfect conduit for these spirits, and they delve into some of the murderous tales that led them from one haunted space to another. They hear stories about the Hennessy Mansion, the Clark Chateau, and the Cabbage Patch, and they're sharing plenty of spooky stuff that didn't make the final cut of each episode. Dave also details the near-death encounter that found him hospitalized for no medically explained reason. You might hear more about this from Dave when Chris Jericho's Rockin' Wrestling Ranger at Sea, Four Leaf Clover. Like I said, he's going to be on the ship once again, hosting some live paranormal experiences and stories. Still cabins left at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. We set sail February 2nd. We're going to our own private island for the first time ever. The talent lineup is stacked. AW will be on board. We got comedy, live music. Come enjoy the vacation of a lifetime. Book your cabin at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. All right, let's get to the ghosts of Devil's Perch right now on Talk is Jericho. Sometimes I feel like uh, like Dave Schrader's mom. Dave, what have you gotten yourself into this time? There's always something going on uh, with you. And uh, I'm going to let you just take it away to tell us all about. Uh, and, and also, we, we've got your whole team is here. Everybody's here. Right. But it's talking about the ghosts of Devil's Perch. You always find these amazing topics and places to go that are just completely wacky and crazy and haunted and all that sort of stuff so kind of tell us a little bit about this and we'll delve into it and we've got we've got cindy Kaza is here she's a psychic and katie stafford is here he is a gizmo uh guy <laughs> that's good enough it works for me <laughs> the gizmo guy how'd you put together this whole team and and why the ghosts of devil's perch in butte montana well, you know, Cindy and I were lucky enough to work together on a show called Holzer's Files, and we got to look into the case files of Dr. Hans Holzer. With Gabe, with Gabe, with Gabe Roth. Yeah, Gabe Roth, a good yeah. friend of yours as well. And when that show was not renewed, uh, there was a call for a new team. This is actually the Ghosts of Devils Perches, the fourth season of the Ghosts of series. The first two seasons were Ghosts of Shepherdstown with Nick Groth, formerly of Ghost Adventures, and Elizabeth Saint. And then season three came along with lead investigator Ben Hansen, medium Sarah Lemos, Jeremy Leonard, the Cajun demonologist, and Katie Stafford. So when they brought in the fourth season, we were getting calls from many different states and cities that were dealing with paranormal activity in Butte, Montana, were one of the first to reach out. So they had acquired KD from last season and they rolled Cindy and I over to be part of this team. And if you've seen Cindy on Holzer Files, you know why she's the go-to medium for most of the shows on Discovery Plus and, <laughs> and Travel Channel. She's a very good medium that does extremely good work and is interesting to watch because she uses all different facets of her mediumship. 
And then Katie Stafford is this mad scientist of the paranormal. He creates 90% of the gizmos and, and uh, items you're going to see used on the show to help us try to find a way to show what Cindy does in a scientific form so we can corroborate her findings with something concrete that we can uh, show to the audience. So it's really been an exciting opportunity. And we got locked into Butte, Montana for three months and kind of absorbed into their culture and into their community. And they were wonderful people, but they have a lot of hauntings going on. And that's what brought us to the new series of Ghosts of Devil's Perch. Well, it's interesting. I mean, there's always so many of these places that exist all around America that we've never even really heard of before. I mean, I did uh, something for the Tribal Channel as well about the, what's the triangle called in Massachusetts, New Hampshire? Bridgewater Triangle, right? Bridgewater Triangle. That's, yeah, yeah, I was thinking the Devil's Triangle. The Bridgewater Triangle, which I had never heard of before. I went out there, did some research, and this place is just haunted to the gills. And you've obviously done quite a lot of shows like that as well. Once again, so the Ghost of Devil's Perch in Butte, Montana, was this something that, that you had heard about before, Dave? Because there's a lot to this and a lot to unpack with your team about the reason why you went. Because this is not just a one-off. This is like a an eight-episode show dealing with all of the the ghostly, demonic findings that you're, you're seeing in this very small town. Right. Well, we got called in because the, the mayor, J.P. Gallagher, and Sheriff Lester were dealing with things that were outside of the parameters of normal protection for the people of Butte. I've, I had heard of like the Dumas brothel in Butte, and that was the most famous location I knew of. I didn't realize how steeped it was. And maybe Cindy can speak to this more from the energetic and mediumistic property. But when we got there, this town was alive with the paranormal. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, ghosts are everywhere. Spirits are everywhere. So that's the thing. Like people wonder like, oh, did a spirit follow me home? And like, well, there's spirits around you all the time, no matter what, no matter where you are. It's just a matter of how receptive you are to those energies. Right. But in Butte, um, in particular, the energy is super, super intense uh, because there's so much psychic imprinting or memory left behind because of all the tragedies that, that have occurred there. And and mixed with, you know, you have the, the elements that are in the ground, you have rocks, you have all this stuff happening in this one location. And so it really creates for the, the perfect spot for a whole lot of really strong paranormal activity. So I think like anybody that's sensitive walking into Butte would feel a little bit overwhelmed because I think for me, it's probably the one of the most haunted places I've ever been for sure. Because everywhere you go, you can feel something in, in a really, really strong way. And you can feel that just going into the town, just right away know it? Definitely. From a mixture of things, like I was saying before. But I think like as we really started to dive into the hauntings, into some of these locations, what we found was really fascinating. I mean, at least for me, it was something that I hadn't really encountered before, or at least not in that way. And I don't want to give it away because, you know, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's an arc series. So if I tell you too much, you might not watch the whole thing. So I'm going to zip <laughs> it. But it's like, it was Horror. really, really, yeah, it was really, really interesting. It was really interesting. No, I know once again from the Bridgewater Triangle, one of the reasons why they thought it could be so haunted is just all of the bad vibes that happened with some of the, the slaughters of, of American, you know, natives, American Indians, First Nations by the pilgrims. And then there was also a, a, a problem with the granite that surrounded this area underneath the earth. What is it about Butte? Is it something to do with the, with the mining operations there or, or what's the hypotheses of that? Yeah. Well, I'll throw it over to KD because he could talk more about the technical aspect, but yeah, like Cindy said, you've got all this tragedy 
and death. I mean, this place was filled with greed and lust and anger and frustration and, and broken dreams. And, you know, it, it just emotionally is charged. But then when you're looking for the scientific relevance of all of this, KD, start, tell them what this this place is the perfect conductive charge, right, with everything going on. Well, yeah, like like Cindy said, with all the minerals and whatnot in the ground there and this being like the continental divide also runs straight through there. So there's a lot of like tectonic activity. A lot of the minerals that are there, like copper, for example, which was basically all just ripped from the ground in a very toxic process. All those things, those um, elemental things, geographical differences there definitely add to the haunting. But also you have to think like all the locations we did, all those places were built from the minerals that were ripped from the ground there. So they're basically conduits within themselves trying to link a metaphysical and scientific kind of approach to it. You know, so much going on there. It's, it's impossible to pin it down, but I believe it is a combination of everything. So when you guys go to, to Butte and know there's a lot of different examples, I mean, are you going for each subject? Cause as we're talking right now, there's been three episodes that, that have aired. Right. So if you're talking about, like, let's say the first episode of, of, of Blood Feud, are you going there looking for examples of this or is it just kind of walking around the town and all these things happen and then you cut them up and edit them? Like, what's kind of the, the production idea behind all these? <laughs> that would be overwhelming. But we were called in that each location has its own experience that draws us to the site. And then we have to be very cautious because in order to get the best reading from Cindy, we can't let her know what the claim was, why we're going there, what the place is, because we need just a, the most basic read from her. So she's not sifting through whatever we front load her with. I would have preferred to have not even been in the RV because like, I wanted to be as far removed from all of it as possible, but that was a no-go. Like, I was like, let me just ride up in my Jeep. Like, just call me in and I'll just show up, you know? Because for me, uh, having information actually messes me up. But I think a lot of people think, oh, you know, she's front-loaded or mediums like to know things before they go in. It's the opposite for me because the more I know, the more difficult it is for me to really just, like, tap in and let whatever happens happens because my mind wants to create a story using the information that I have. So... Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was really interesting, though, the way they're doing it, where they have you doing your readings and they have me simultaneously with the ghost box. And yeah, it's like both getting the same responses, but we're not even in the same place. Like there's we can't hear each other. I don't even know where she is. Yeah. And so why, why does that cloud your mind? If you know, the more, you know, you, you want to go in there as a blank slate just to draw in everything that you see. Exactly. Right. So think about it this way. It's like, okay, um, let me try to give a good example. Okay. Let's say you drive a truck. Your awareness everywhere you go will be more open to recognizing that type of truck. Right. So like I drive a Jeep. So now everywhere I go, I, I pick out Jeeps. Like I'm like, oh, there's a Jeep. There's a Jeep. If I didn't own a Jeep, maybe I wouldn't notice as many Jeeps around me. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you have any information in your mind or any kind of a story in your mind, the inclination is for your mind to continue creating that story using information that you already have from even the past. The brain's an interesting thing. It likes to make stories. That's how we make sense out of life. That's how we make meaning out of things. So I would rather go in with zero information, even if what I'm getting makes no sense. That happens sometimes. I'm like, why am I seeing this? Or why am I seeing this? 
it doesn't even matter necessarily why in the moment. It's just, I need to just get the information out. And then usually something comes out of it in the end. But again, it's way more difficult going in um, to pick up on what's really happening if you're front loaded. That's my personal opinion. And I think the reason we kept her in the RV is because that thing was a death trap. And oh my God. The, the carbon monoxide was constantly pulling. <laughs> so she was always straddling life and death. It was, in the it was yeah, yeah. No, I, I threw up, you guys. I threw up. I like the first night, they like put me back there and all the fumes, I was breathing them in and I threw up twice. It was awful. That thing sucked. You think it's fumes. I think you were picking up on all the 70s lovemaking that went on in that ancient <laughs> truck that was there. Oh, yeah. Think about so, that. So gross. Yeah, that's the next series. Exactly. Ghost motorhome. Katie, you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned a ghost box, and um, I've dealt with them before in some of the shows that I've done. But explain to to people listening who don't know exactly what a ghost box is. Okay, so a ghost box or a spirit radio is basically a radio that is modified to sweep through the broadcast frequencies, so it be AM, FM, or shortwave. Basically, what you do is you listen, and the belief is is that we may be able to hear communication from supernatural entities or beings that we can't hear with all our own ears, but maybe people like Cindy can hear. We use that to try and get the same messages or the same responses that Cindy would try. She would get uh, using her medium abilities. What did you hear on the ghost box that stood up for you over the course of the episodes? What didn't we hear? Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah, it was a lot. Well, like I was saying, uh, the biggest thing that stands out to me is seeing the side by side of me and Cindy. She's doing her medium session, and I'm doing my ghost box session. And it's like we almost have one of these, seems like every episode so far, I think. So she's getting the same thing, like simultaneously while I am, which kind of val, which is a double validation. It kind of validates her. And it also validates me and using my equipment. Yeah. And what people don't know, I, I I don't think they know, is that we don't see that until we're watching it. So I didn't even know everything right. Katie was getting until I watched the episode. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. So mm. you get a lot. And you, well, I, I was getting a lot. And sometimes it seems like spirits are trying to communicate over each other. Mm-hmm. Cindy has the same problem too. But yeah, so like... um you get so much, like even when we were done, like we couldn't sit there and compare notes and be like, oh, some things we could, but it's not the same as seeing, <laughs> seeing it on TV. So what were some of the adventures that you had as far as the specific stories that were being told all throughout Devil's Perch? As you saw in the first episode, we ran into this place called uh, the Clark Chateau which is this beautiful old Copper King mansion. It's one of the most wealthy homes that was built in that area. And that's where kind of this blood feud went. This James Murray that that lived there was kind of overlording the town and taking over mines and just destroying other people's dreams while trying to create his own. And when you get to a point that you stop forgetting that there are other people that are trying to chase that same dream and you start crushing people, you start creating enemies. And sometimes that pain can go on into the afterlife. And Mr. Van Zant, he lost, he put everything into it and lost it all legally. Legally, this guy was able to just take him apart and he wasn't willing to let go so much so that his, he ended his own life, lost a lot of the touch with his own family. So not only is he stranded, but this lack of love and his wife is trying to find him, hoping to bring him back with her. So it's just, it was like a, a Shakespearean tragedy on so many different levels. 
in our you know last two episodes uh, as we went to the Cabbage Patch to again get a chance to hear the voices of the disenfranchised, the homeless, the lost to the community and society, and realize that it's never about one person, like the Copper King mansions. That's about who was the richest and who lived there. We forget about all the people on whose back these places were built. And these people were part of the community, but they were, in their eyes, the lowest of the low. They were expendable, and they wanted to be heard. They wanted their story to be told properly. And with our third episode, going into the Hennessy Mansion, there was so much at play here, from spirits that were affecting past inhabitants, pushing one to the point where he almost committed murder, and affecting people that stayed there. We had poltergeist-like activity, direct voice. Uh, we had uh, psychic phenomenon going on there. We have all this connectivity to the tunnels throughout Butte. So each story opens up kind of another chapter for us, which is really fascinating. You know, when we did Holzer Files, we'd go to New Hampshire, we kind of clean up that story, and then next week we're off to Connecticut. And there's no follow-through for us because there was no and then. But in this town, it was like whatever was calling out had a reason for putting us in these places, trying to tell a much bigger story. And we were kind of there for the ride. And Cindy was the Magellan for us as she had to cut through all the crap and all the, the hundreds of years of history to get to these real points in history and real stories. And KD had to try to find a way to hone in on that type of energy in every location with something different to give these spirits a chance to be seen and heard. So it was, it was, amazing. And I think as people continue to watch this, they're going to see just how rich our environments are and how much we dismiss or forget about places right next to us. And as a whole, we need to remember the cultures that came before us and the, the people that built these locations and, and not just the winners, but everybody that made them the winners. And that's kind of my takeaway from doing, doing the series. So, Cindy, when you hear, I mean, obviously you do a lot of different things being, you know, a psychic or whatever, and not just a conduit for spirits, but for, for a lot of things. But when you go into to this town and you go to some of these different locations that Dave was describing, what do you experience when you go into, you know, the mansion, the Hennessy mansion, for example? What, do you, what are you getting when you go in there? Is it instant? Is it take a while to come? How does it work? It's instant and a lot of times it's before I even go in so what, what I started to do was when they would go in or when they were talking to the police I would sit in the RV and tap in in the RV and see what I was picking up on but what's so interesting about Hennessy Mansion is um, where I went was not where I think anybody thought I was going to go because it didn't really from the outside look like it was connecting into what the, the experiencers were reporting. But again, it's like, I just trust what I'm getting. So regardless of what people have said they've experienced, which they did experience, I went to where I was being drawn by the, the spirits. And so it, it was an interesting episode because there's so much going on in that location. And I think had we had more time to like a longer, if we hadn't had more time in the episode, we could have really just told a huge story, but we didn't have time. So one more investigation there would have would have been it would oh would have been it was I think it would have been super important because I think that there was a lot in that location that really could have tied some things together. Well it did in the end, you know, at the end it did, but it's super interesting. Are there certain like characters that are coming to you? Like do you know the names of these people that are talking that you're talking with? 
sometimes I get the name. Sometimes I don't get the name. Sometimes I just sense like what they're doing, what they did when they were alive, how they died. It just really depends. Depends on the spirit. It depends on how I'm picking up on it. And it's interesting with paranormal investigation because I'm being bombarded with so much information at once. So it isn't as simple as me just talking to a spirit. It's like I'm picking up on the energetic imprints left behind, the multiple spirits, the multiple timelines, all of the people that lived there before. So if you can imagine like walking into a building that's 300 years old, that is a psychic medium, I have to sift through all of these different timelines. It's a lot of information. It's a lot of energy, which is why using automatic writing, um, and I use it a lot in the show, the automatic writing really helps me focus. So that's like, when I'm being bombarded, when I sit down and I do automatic writing, it's it's really helpful for me. Now, Katie, kind of where do you fit on this? Obviously, we know that a ghost box, spirit boxes exist. We've seen them. What do you, is your slant? Like, just there certain times when I have to figure out a way to harness this, so I need to build something. That like, kind of fill us in on that side of things. Okay, so I like to go into a location and look at the layout of the building or uh, just the general location, wherever we're at, uh, the geography, it could be like, um, is it on top of the mountain or is it close to the continental divide? Is it close to the Berkeley sinkhole? Something like that, you know, that can give you uh, ideas on what type of equipment would be best to use. It could be like uh, some sort of uh, special thing about the place that I can use to exploit and maybe apply some equipment to and um, get communication from the spirits or an image of the spirits. Like in at the uh, Clark Chateau, we use the uh, PGG, which is uh, the photonic ghost generator. I came up with this in Morgan City and uh, I thought it'd be interesting to use there. Even though it's such a small space, we got really good results. I basically just work off of the location and the stories that I get from uh, people that are experiencing the haunting. And Cindy got, if I can mention, Chris, when she's talking about she's picking up stuff before we even get there. When we got called to the Cabbage Patch, the only information KD and I get is Chris Fisk, the historian, said that there's a young girl in trouble right now. We got to get there. So we go hauling ass out there. Cindy's in the back with her noise-canceling headphones on, just trying to tune in we get there we go running in while we're in there cindy turns around and she's picking up on this guy that's been shot but she doesn't know if it's tied to what we're there for or if we just happen to park on a spot somebody was killed or you know at that point she's picking up on this and it turns out that this character was integral to the story and it was a part of it that we didn't know about until after we'd kind of wrapped it up when she's like, geez, you know, I picked up on the name Richard. Right. And, and yeah. all of this. And, and it was before they like edit, yeah. in the edit. It's like when you're watching the edit, you're like, wait a second. The second I walked out of the RV, I was like, oh no, there's a man. I know I saw him in the RV. He's been shot. I'm hearing the name Richard, but, mm -hmm. but that's not put in there until I'm doing automatic writing. And the, and you know, it, it gets frustrating sometimes because you know, the things that are left out, like what we found at the cabbage right. patch and, and you're like, okay, but it's just what it is. You know, well, that's the thing, too. I mean, you're not in charge of the edit of the show, no. right? So, and, and once again, from the shows that I've done, you know, in the in the swamps of Louisiana looking for ghosts and that sort of thing, when you see the edit back, you're like, why, why didn't you put that part in there? It was like, so <laughs> it was amazing, you know. Is it is it hard on you, Cindy? Because I'm just trying to put myself in your position as you know, as a psychic that has all of us have voices in our head, but you have, I don't know, dozens of voices and they're not you know, you want them in there, but they're not yours. Is it, is it physically taxing for you to have to do these shows? 
I mean, um, you know, I w- I'll say this, like, if you'd asked me this question, maybe 10, 11 years ago, I would probably have said yes. Uh, but I have a lot more control over my ability now. So I explain it this way. It's like if you think of a radio that's plugged into an electrical outlet, there's always this underlying current. So I can't completely turn it all the way off, but I can control how much I turn up the volume. Mm. So when I'm not working, the volume's on zero. I still am sensitive, but I'm not trying to listen. But in the past, I would be open all the time and I was super ungrounded. It was super overwhelming. I don't know. It's it's like I, I can go into the investigations. Is it overwhelming sometimes while I'm there? Yes. But when I leave, do I have the ability to ground myself and turn the volume down? Absolutely. So it makes it manageable. Otherwise, um, I don't know if I, I'd be able to do this for the rest of my life because it'd be way too much. So, Dave, let's, let's go into some of these episodes with some detail here. Mm-hmm. You're talking about the axe man. You mentioned the cabbage patch a few times, but kind of describe the story of what happened. Because these are all incidents that happened when? In the 1800s? Early 1900s? The stories span different centuries from the 1800s through the 1950s, 60s, I think, are what? the storylines we covered. That's right. You know, I wow. think we could probably go there and film five seasons because every time we kind of pull back a chapter... I'm willing to bet something else is going to rise to the top and demand to be heard as well now that we've given them voice. But going in to the Cabbage Patch, like I said, you've got all these people whose desperation is there. Their dreams are there. They they want out of this. So their emotional scar on this property is, is palpable. Even for guys like KD and I who aren't sensitive like Cindy, you could just pick up on that kind of foreboding nature. And then then you've got this twisted kind of love story. You've got the preacher's daughter who is a moderately well-to-do white girl who's dating an African-American man at the time. And as pressures in society is getting, she's trying to break this off and he's trying to plead his passion and love. And it gets to the point where, you know, I watch some of the comments people are making. They're like, are we so sure Richard was really the innocent in this? It sounds kind of stalkery. So it's hard to tell some of those aspects, but the way he came through to Cindy was this love and compassion and was just confused as to what had happened and why this was falling apart. And she went to Pete O'Hare, kind of the, the big dog, the, the ax man of the Cabbage Patch, to take care of this problem she was having. Because to her, he was a nice little side hustle, but he wasn't what she wanted for her future. And, and when that hurt him and he wanted to understand more and nobody would help her, she took it upon herself to murder him. And it's funny because I've seen the headlines, you know, when we were there, Fisk brought in these headlines and it's like mother scolds white girl that murdered her Negro boyfriend. And now she's very sorry. And you're like, this wasn't an eight year old. (laughs) This was a 20 some year old girl and she's getting scolded by her mom. So they're going to go easy on her in court because it was just a black guy. And that you're like, what? But you forget that this culture existed and that this is the way they treated one another and when we were in the scene in the the walkthrough and we're in the bachelor's cabin they call it and cindy was picking up on this murder i felt like something ruptured i literally thought i was checking out i thought i had an appendicitis or a heart attack and i hit the ground i thought you were having a heart attack for real like i I was that was honestly it was terrifying i thought i had no idea what was going on yeah because i was in a completely other building (laughs) i thought you were having a massive heart attack so what happened dave what happened to you 
I, like I said, physically thought I was, I was done for. I thought I was having a heart attack. I, it's funny. I would love to see the original footage. Cause there's gotta be 15 minutes solid of Cindy throwing the F word, trying to get me help and figure out what's going on. <laughs> and it, it was so emotionally charged. And then, you know, finally I get brought to the hospital to get checked on. I was there for four or five hours. They ran every test they could. They couldn't find anything physically wrong. And then I just needed a couple of days to kind of clear my head, Cindy and Katie and our director, Brian carried on in my stead to kind of talk to our historian, talk to the people that had written about the series to see if they could get information. And Cindy, I love that scene because she was like uh, Sherlock Holmes, you know, is there like, we don't know this name, Richard. We don't, she's nonstop looking through the papers, looking through everything. And she finds this connection to Richard Sims, this murdered man who was shot right there. And I think what I did was walked into a place memory and just was in the wrong place at the right time. Wow. I, I don't know what else to make of it if I can't physically say, okay, here's scar tissue. Here's where I got shot or I had an appendicitis. I can't explain what's going on with it. But it was interesting to me to go to the hospital because once they were checking on me, every five minutes, a new doctor or nurse would come in and they'd go, so you're one of the ghost guys? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, man, let me tell you about the little ghost girl up on third floor <laughs> yeah, or right? about this. And everybody has a story in Butte. It's insane to realize how hopping this place is. You know, to, to hear that story, here was a guy who was unmercilessly murdered just because he was a nuisance to this well-to-do white girl. And, and the whole community just kind of, surrounded her and was like okay that's good and this guy's left screaming from the grave right and all of the people of the patch were saying this they just wanted to be heard they wanted a blessing and they wanted to turn this thing that was their home back into something that was theirs not pedo hairs not the copper kings not right. anything are we allowed to say what we what they didn't film show in the the episode about the yeah, we did the other day <laughs> yeah we talk about some of the the <laughs> stuff and you got to realize chris you know better than anybody but for your viewers and listeners we film at a location for four to five days 12 yeah. hour shifts and it's got to get pared down to 42 minutes so it's like what do we remove from the final product to put that in and then do we need to build around that to explain why that was in there so it, it's a very precarious house of cards but yeah unfortunately sometimes really good things. And I think I know what you're going to mention, Sydney. And if you don't, well, I'll... the mass grave, the mass grave, because, Oh yeah. Right. Like, so we're talking about all these forgotten souls, all these people that wanted a proper burial. They wanted to be acknowledged. And I was like, Oh no, there's a mass grave somewhere. And there was a mass grave. We went to the mass grave. Yes, we did. You know what? I forgot about that. And they didn't show it. I'm like, why did they leave out the mass grave? And the only thing I can think is like, maybe they don't want people knowing that there's a mass grave in Butte or they don't want people going there. I mean, or digging it. I mean, who knows? But it's like there's not even a sign, right? There's not no. even a sign, it. but it's but it's like fenced off and everything where it is. But there's no sign, so that might be rough. Who's who's all in the mass grave? People from the Cabbage Patch, people that didn't have family to claim them, minorities. They were murdered. Miners, yeah. Not necessarily murders. Not well, some, but not always. You know, yeah, it's basically like a Potter's Field. It's just just uh. where. Uh, Anybody who didn't have money to be buried would be buried. Gotcha. I would guess, if I could mention, I would guess the reason why is we did show a blessing that took place on the Cabbage Patch property. And I'm proud of the show for allowing us to show that because people watch these paranormal shows and they're like, you guys just went in and stirred up ghosts and left. You didn't help them. They don't show when we do these things like bringing in blessings or Cindy going to the mass gravesite and us saying a prayer together to try to help these ghosts or, or let them know that 
they're cared for and we heard them. It's kind of like, which story do we say? Well, the ghosts didn't necessarily said, go find our graves. They said, bless this space. So we did both. They just had to go with the narrative that was going to make the most sense. But I mean, there was another great scene that I wish they would have included as well. I, if you watch, I'm barely in the episode when it comes to any investigating because of what happened to me in the baseline. And then during the investigation, one of the ghosts kind of started mocking me and was threatening me. And I'm like, I got to be brave. I got to go in. And as I was going in, Cindy's like, no, get your ass back in the RV, protect yourself. These things want to screw with you and you're already hurt. You're, you, they already know they can get to you. Mm -hmm. And I said, all right, I trust Cindy with my life. If she says, go sit down and, and leave this alone, I'm going to follow that lead because A, I don't want to feel that kind of pain again. And B, if my partner's telling me, let me handle this. I got this. You back off and keep safe. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm going to do. And that was a great, powerful scene that I wish we could have shown to the audience that, you know, it wasn't comfortable. I don't like to, baby doesn't want to be put in the corner, but you know, it was also <laughs> the fact that I also, I don't want to feel like something shot me again, man. I just was like, all right, she says, get out of here. I'm going to go sit in the RV. And I did and watched and, and it was great to sit there and kind of watch a bird's eye view of everything that was going on. And I get the perspective of, as I'm watching the screen, I can see Cindy connecting. I can see KD in a different place connecting and they're getting similar stories, which are corroborating each other without telling each other what's going on. And it's great to see that kind of stuff. But again, maybe we could, I, I hope like with Holzer files, they allowed us to come back and do specials where we got to talk about these pieces and then they would plug them in and give people a sign of that. And I hope they'll let us do that with this show too. Yeah. Cindy, I know, I know you got to go, uh, but I have two quick questions for you. One, was there ever any point in this uh, filming where you felt any type of danger? Yes. Yes. I mean, Hennessy Mansion. I mean, a few times. Mm -hmm. Hennessy Mansion for sure. I mean, when, when I can't automatic, right. I'm like, something is definitely up when I, when I can't, allow myself to go there yeah definitely and they were after dave like, the entire time mm -hmm. like the whole show but and we'll, we'll get into that more after cindy's but last question for you and i'm sure you get asked this all the time but always trying to rationalize and figure out what exactly is a ghost and why are some spirits ghosts and why are some <laughs> are they tortured beings are they have unfinished business on earth in your opinion i mean ghosts i don't even i just like saying spirits I, I, here's the thing Man, this is like a whole hour like talk that I could <laughs> give on this particular. Now I need to put it in, in the in, in it really I need to That's a very broad question. Well well, but it's an important question because I get asked this all the time, you know, and, and the it's really hard for us to comprehend all the possibilities of the energetics on the other side of this dimension. We do not have the words, we don't have the we live in a in a in a you know, layer of duality. So there's always something in its opposite. On the other side is a little bit different. Do time and space exist? They don't seem to, but then how can I explain what's happening without using time and space? That also, we can't comprehend it. I believe that when I'm encountering a spirit or a ghost or however you want to describe the energy that I'm encountering, I'm encountering an aspect, a part of that, that spirit because spirits can be in many different places simultaneously. So when I'm encountering this fragmented, traumatized part, which a lot of the times with these paranormal investigations I am because they have unfinished business. There, if you think about it in this dimension, right, we get traumatized, sometimes we fragment. There's a whole system in psychology called the internal family systems and other things where people are trying to reintegrate their parts, blah, blah, blah. It gets a little nerdy. But the thing is, it's like the same thing with these spirits. You're dealing with this aspect of a soul that needs help, that wants to be happy, that wants to be reintegrated with the oneness, which is everything. 
It's it's it, that, that's what I got because I gotta go. I could talk about this for another hour. It's just it's it's not that simple. It's it's very difficult. I think for a lot of us to comprehend. I think we want to make it this like buttoned up kind of concept of that, and it just really isn't. And I, I'll also say before I go, um, I'm certainly not the type of medium who who thinks that I understand it all because I don't. I'm going based on my experience. And and you might ask me the same question ten years from now, and I might have a different answer. For of course, you. but but at this point, that that's what I got. That's, <laughs> so well, that's good. Yeah, to help help these these spirits in whatever way I can. And while also helping people in the living, because that's a medium we're intermediaries between here and there. And we hope help both sides. So. All right. Well, thank you, Cindy. Thanks for having me. And you know, Chris, if I could mention one thing real quick for Cindy, that's why I love what she does. And she also teaches people. She does mediumship courses online so she can talk with people from around the world to help them understand this, to understand if it's something they even want to get into. And she goes over everything from what spirit is and these different encounters and how this works and how you can develop that. So you can know if this is something that you want to continue to open up and, and you know be a part of or not. So I suggest to all of your followers and listeners, and I know you got a million plus people out there, check out Cindy Keza on social media, on her pages, and you can find out how to sign up for her classes, and it'll do you a lot of good, and you get a lot of amazing insights. She teaches very comprehensive courses on this, so that's going to give people a lot more. So Katie mentioned that the, the, the spirits of the Cabbage Patch were after you, Dave. They didn't like you. What happened rather than the fact that you had to go to the hospital, but why you and what did you do and what were they doing to you? You know, here's, I'm going to tie it back. I did a special about a year ago called the curse of Lizzie Borden, where I went in with Chris Fleming and uh, he's a medium friend of mine, Sam Beltrusis, the relative of, of Lizzie Borden and uh, Luann Jolly, who was an EVP specialist. And, and for the kind of finale, we did a seance in Lizzie Borden's room. And I went in and I was very open. I'm like, use me to do this. And I, I, you got to be careful again, what you put out to the universe. I wasn't specific and you could use my energy. I was like, use me. Well, Chris was also hoping to use me as a conduit to help us gain a bigger perspective. And I ended up doing some automatic writing, which was very uncomfortable. Meaning um, you're somebody who's an athlete. You're in control of yourself. If all of a sudden your right arm just starts going crazy and it's oh, wow. writing without you oh, wow. and okay. without your control. And it feels like something's in you. It, it's terrifying. And I didn't know what I didn't know. And after that, I just kind of came into filming in, in Butte wide open. And after I had this experience in the Cabbage Patch, and then in the third episode, as people saw when we were at the Hennessy Mansion, KD said, let's do this experiment. And he had, he had put this together. It's oh, it's awesome. You know, with all the laser lights and the um, uh, laser microphones, the spirit box, and then we were doing the Gansfield Estes method where I had noise-canceling uh, headphones on. I had, <laughs> I had blindfold over my eyes. There were ping pong balls cut in half and taped over. So I look like Homer Simpson through most of the, uh, <laughs> I wasn't going to say, I wasn't going to say, uh, but I was seeing ghosts. It was really weird, but we were <laughs> in there opening up to this and it is the most emotional experience of my life outside of dealing with my children and, and loss of my mom and such. It was so overwhelming. I cannot fathom how Cindy lives like that, hearing the things and sensing those things it broke me down. Um, you know, I needed KD and our director to kind of help me pull my act back together because I just couldn't stop sobbing. It was so 
I, I mean, it was like I was listening to a thousand people dying all at once. Mm. It's like being there watching the Hindenburg crash, and there's nothing you can do about it. I could hear the screams, and all the while, there's just this voice taunting me, telling me how it's there and it's in control and it's watching out over all these. And it was just so the dichotomy of the terror and screams and the this calm possessive voice was it just it shattered me so i i don't think that they picked me out because oh dave's a jerk i think it was oh this guy's wide open and doesn't know it we got an in and cindy protects herself kd wasn't open up like that he uses his tools and allows them to work through the equipment i was just wide open and after that second moment you know i had the one in the cabbage patch one in hennessy both Cindy kind of sat me down and walked me through how to kind of gather my stuff, protect myself more. I go in with all the religious icons I want and holy water. That's good for keeping you protected from some aspects of the paranormal. But when you're psychically open and you haven't been before, right? it's like opening your window with a giant hornet's nest right outside and mm. no screen. And it was coming and, and I was a focal point. Um, and we, we have experiences throughout the entire season like that, not quite as intense, but you know, certainly these things were flexing and scaring other people when they couldn't get to one of us. Katie, tell me a little bit more about some of the stuff that you had to construct and some of the apparatuses that you brought to the table here during the course of the show. Okay. Well, I think Dave just mentioned probably one of the one of the more complicated ones that I had to put together with at the uh, Hennessy Mansion. Like I said before, I like to exploit the location, any kind of properties that location may have that are interesting or may be conducive to communication, right? So I noticed the mirrors. And Dave, did they – I don't, you know what? I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> but right. um, For people he, that didn't so, watch it yet, yeah. Right, right. So, so the mirrors, so you see that the lasers in the room, if, when you look at that one picture, one whole wall was a giant mirror. So I found other mirrors in the house, lined them up across the other side of the room. And this time I actually projected my, the audio from the, from my uh, Inkbox spirit radio through a laser and bounced it all the way across the room, across the mirrors. And it went, I mean, this room was huge and it terminated on the end and was picked up. And that's what Dave was getting in his headphones and he couldn't hear anything I was saying. So we were kind of doing the SDs method, but with a really complex laser audio transmitter grid in the room so you know it, one thing that sucks about what i do is i have to like you know when i'm when i hook somebody up to an experiment like this uh, like i had dave hooked up i had to just sit there and kind of watch him just suffer you know it's it, it kind of sucks but that's what it's what we wanted it's what he is that's what we were there for so i have to keep that in mind and you know some of this stuff is for real, you know, I mean, like Dave was for real being affected by these spirits and you can't just unhook him. So that's difficult. There's there's several other times during the season where I construct complex experiments. But, um, yeah, that's probably one of my favorite ones right there with the Hennessy Mansion. It's interesting, Dave, when I did the show about the ghosts of, of the bayous of Louisiana, mm -hmm. there was a point in time where I felt like. Something went wrong, and 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 like you said, people might be listening, going, "Oh, it's all bullshit." But like, I can tell you, you can hook me up to a lie detector test, and, and obviously, you guys know this. But I literally felt like, like I just got off a roller coaster and had this queasy feeling, and I just felt like my insides have all been shaken up. And I was like, "All right, guys, 
it's fucking over. It's time to get out of here. Right. This is done. And as soon as I got away from that little six foot area over to here, it went away. So there is something to the fact that there's certain places and, and maybe you piss off the wrong spirits, entities, insert word here, where you do get physically affected. And, and that's obviously what happened to you as well. Yeah, I, I because I was open up to that and I wanted I want to have those experiences. I want to take it to the next level. And that's what's great about having KD there because yeah, he can give me a template to see or experience what Cindy's doing. It's fascinating to watch Cindy do what she does, but really we're kind of just standing there twiddling our thumbs because we can't see, we can't hear. Sometimes we're lucky and we capture EVP, which we got some threatening EVP at the Clark Chateau. And that's the, the electronic voice projection. Right. Yeah. The, yeah. And you're, you're just hearing these voices recorded and we're getting these kind of immediate responses. It can get really unnerving, but you know, when I first had the hit, uh, when I came out of the hospital from the cabbage patch and they started interviewing me, I, I got pretty emotional and was kind of thinking, maybe I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> maybe I'm just too old for this shit, right? I'm Benny Glover <laughs> and uh, and lethal weapon. Two weeks from retirement. Right, exactly. And I'm like, but you know what? That's what I sign up for is, is I realize that what we're doing is bigger than any one of us. It's hopefully giving a voice back to the forgotten. And if it means I got to take five minutes of pain in order to convey that message, then I'll gladly accept that. And I uh, got to be careful. I don't know who's listening again on that <laughs> spirit room. Doesn't mean you get to shove me around, but watch out next season, Dave. Yeah, it we have you. to. You know, Katie said they pick on me throughout the season. They do in different ways because they'll they'll kind of go after people we care about and and people that we wanted to help. And at the end, they try to bully me a little bit more. But uh, you know, they made my list, Chris, and I think you'd have been proud of the way I handle it. At the end, we'll see <laughs> when it, when the season uh, finale airs. But at some point, you've just got to tell them too. It doesn't have to be like this. Let us work with you. Let us help you. Right. And and once you get past that, it's like a petulant child who isn't hearing anything other than it's bedtime, not realizing I'll read you, I'll rub your head, and I'll tell you a story, and I'll sing you a song. Oh, okay, then everything's better. Sometimes they're just lashing out, and that's kind of what we found was that something bigger was at play here, bigger than us, bigger than the town of Butte. And hopefully we were able to rectify that element of this story, but I, not by a long shot do I think we're done in Butte. I think if God willing, if there's another season, I hope we get to go back to the Devil's Perch and work with Chris Fisk and Cindy and Katie and all the great people and Mayor Gallagher and, and Chief Lester and, and hopefully continue to tell their stories. It'd be great. You mentioned there's an overall story arc mm -hmm. to the show. So what exactly is it? Like, obviously, it's not like the Twilight Zone where there's just eight different ghost stories and here you go. What's tying it all together? Is there is there a certain mission that you're trying to accomplish or something along those lines? I don't know how much we're allowed to say because, you know, signing those NDAs, how things go. Um, <laughs> I will say this. Something is pulling the strings on each one of these stories. And we were sent to them, I firmly believe, and especially in... Hearing things, Cindy will pick up in one episode something that in the next case that we're dealing with comes to play. So then you're, we're like, what is that? How did that tie in? And all of a sudden you're like, my God, that that makes sense. And each one kind of beget the next. So you start to realize we were the puppets and this thing was pulling us along for good reason uh, because we weren't seeing the big picture. So it was like playing charades with us to get us 
to the point and everything. Sometimes our ego gets in the way too. Like we're like, oh, we got this. We understand it. And it's like, no, hmm. no, no, no. You just saw the tip of the iceberg. Come take another look. And all of a sudden you realize there's more to this. So that's what I can say is that there's something big that was setting up this narrative for us. I firmly believe that it was crazy how these things tied into each other and, and the connections and people that didn't know in town, didn't know another person was having these experiences and they're so similar or there's a cord that ties them all together. It's mind boggling to be a part of that. You know, again, you go to a place that's got a haunting, you leave and you go to the next place in Butte. There is no next place. Everything is haunted in Butte. You know, there was thousands upon thousands of people that died working the mines hmm. not just from collapses but from the dust that they were breathing in and things and yeah, disease and drinking themselves yeah so there was there was so many different levels to how these people died there and prostitutes i mean there were as many prostitutes in town as there were miners they all worked 24-hour shifts there were blocks of brothels blocks of brothels above and below ground right <laughs> wow right. in that town i mean their last brothel the dumas brothel closed in 1985 so let that sink in <laughs> relatively close relatively recent still yeah are the people that live there today affected by all this spiritual activity oh yeah i believe so i mean every person every single person not just the people we the locations the people that were at the locations that we did on the show so many people you just stop and talk to for whatever reason and you'd be talking and obviously they knew you were with the ghost show and they'd tell you their ghost story in town. So everybody in that town, I swear, everybody I talked to had their own ghost story. Even the police chief who doesn't believe in the paranormal, he would sit there and stoically look Katie and I in the eye and I don't believe in ghosts. And then something weird had happened and you could see on his face, he's like, I don't want to believe in ghosts. I don't want to believe in ghosts, you know, but it was like, how do you get past what just occurred? We know that Taylor was in the bathroom by herself and suddenly feels this blinding pain. And when she goes to her friend, she has these Freddy Krueger gashes on her, not, not little lines, but torn open bleeding so bad that the EMTs had to come and patch her up. And then she's in this kind of stasis. She's talking to us and it's her friend is more worked up than she was. You could tell the shock level on her was just like, my brain can't comprehend what just happened to me. And that that's the way it was with so many of the people, Frankie Angel in the first episode, she had something take her over and she talks about it almost matter of factly because it, it's kind of like having a childhood memory, you're kind of like, I remember going to camp. I remember these stories, but I kind of feel like I read about it in a book as opposed to actually having had that happen to me. And sometimes when you have these grand experiences, it's the same thing. You kind of get that disconnect where you, you feel more like you were a viewer of it instead of an active participant. And I think that's the way our brains work to psychologically protect us from some of the things that we deal with, but it's, it's powerful. The Fink family, the fourth episode that's coming up here, you know, that was an interesting balancing act for all of us because not only were we dealing with the, the past spirits, but we had to we had to be very cautious because they had just suffered a loss. And we we have to make sure we get it right for them, for the spirits of Butte, and for their daughter that passed away. And know that we're doing the right thing and telling the right story. So it is. It's very emotional to meet these people, look them in the eyes and do this. It's more than a TV show. It, you know, you become a community. It always blows my mind when you hear the stories of the scratches. You know, I don't think mm -hmm. people realize just how 
frequently that happens. It happens a lot. In your experience, have you have you has it happened a lot for you guys? Not to me personally, but I, I usually see other people get scratched or harmed in some way, hair pulled, pitched is a, is a big one. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen to me very often. I'm always on the outside looking in, you know, I'm not psychic, like I said before. Some people will say that I have some sort of intuitive ability, and I, I agree a, a little bit, but um, to not experience, not have ever experienced that, it's crazy to see somebody else get scratched, like, you know, like what happened at the uh, Clark Chateau. That, that was a violent, violent scratch. That was really bad. It, I, you would have sworn Freddy Krueger came through there and just slashed her back, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it makes it really hard for anybody who hasn't dealt with this kind of stuff before to believe that somebody else didn't do that to her. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you would just swear that, that somebody attacked her physically or, or something like that. But that's not the case. Last few questions for you, Katie. How did you, you know, there's a mechanic and there's an electrician. How did you become a ghost apparatus constructor? <laughs> That's well, pretty slim yeah. uh, job opportunities on that one. There, it's a very niche market. <laughs> yeah. It's a very niche thing that I do. Uh, you know, well, okay. So I had, uh, when I joined the army, I started and I deployed, I started having questions about, you know, existential yeah. thoughts and, and, and questions and stuff. Uh, you see, you see just a different side of life that you, you know, that we as comfortable Americans mostly don't get to experience. So that kind of opened me up. I feel like, plus I had some paranormal experiences downrange. And so I think all that kind of opened me up further investigation. And then when I got out of the army, you know, I had, I ended up, I had a electronics background and, and a me- very mechanical background. And uh, so I just started dabbling and, you know, somehow I ended up doing this stuff on TV, but I, I really started doing the paranormal equipment thing uh, because I didn't have those abilities that Cindy does have. Right. You know, I can't see the things that she sees. I can't hear the things that she hears. So I, I wanted more than anything to be able to experience that because my wife, Katie, is very uh, she has a little psychic ability. So I'm trying to, like, figure out what's going on in her head. And so, you know, it works out, though. I, as you say in the show, I get a lot of the similar responses to what Cindy gets. So it's, it's paid off doing this. You use the science and mechanics aspect of it to make up for what you didn't have from the paranormal side of things. Yes, and a lot of people don't realize, Chris, that the science, people want to roll their eyes at the science, but in Thomas Edison's original biography, his released version of the biography, there's an entire chapter on the telephone to the dead that he was trying to create. Hmm. He believed that if energy could be harnessed and if there was a form of energy that could communicate, he was going to try to create something. Mm-hmm. When his family re-released that, and you could find both versions, when they re-released it, they removed that chapter because they didn't want him, they didn't want people thinking he was nuts. Mm-hmm. Tesla was on the same pathway. He yep. was creating things and raw dive and all of these forerunners in our field, they were all in tuned and realized there's ways that these spirits can make themselves known. D Scott Rogo wrote a book called telephone calls from the dead or phone calls from the dead and talking about how they found ways. And then when we're, you asked, what is it about the property? Like KD brought up, there's copper underlying this entire ah, city plus nice. underground water. This copper works like a telephone line. Yep. Or a radio antenna yeah. for communication. Yeah. They have the ability to ride that like a power wave and, and bring it to us. At least that's our hypothetical. And, you know, at least it seems to match up with what 
people like Tesla and Edison did believe. So, you know, it's fascinating to get that opportunity to examine these concepts with people like that in our kind of our corner in the background. Last question for you. What's the scariest moment that uh, you guys experienced during the course of the filming? Besides almost dying, Dave. Well, mine is trying to stop that RV. Honestly, that RV's brakes did not want to work. And there were times we were doing our... Our drive in the car in front of us is they've got a guy in the back of a pickup truck filming us and we're coming down a hill and I hit the brakes and it's not stopping. And we're, and Katie and I are like, this is about to kill somebody. Yeah. (laughs) So that was scary. But when we have our confrontation, our final confrontation, every part of me was like, I want out of here. But I, I had to turn back around and I think my cameraman would have been just as happy if I would have left because he could have come with me. But we, we have this moment where we have to stand up. That to me was unnerving because again, you're in a dark place you're not familiar with. It's our first time in there and something is mucking with all three of us and something is starting to build and you don't know, you know, am I going to, is it going to be like that hero moment in every horror movie where the guy, Billy stands up with a baseball bat and beats Michael. And he's like, yeah. And all of a sudden the knife comes through Billy, right? (laughs) That's how I feel is like, I'm standing up trying to be brave and deal with this thing, but I don't know. I can't see it. I know it's there because I'm hearing it and it's making noises like we just heard, but it's terrifying. So that's kind of, that was my moment of probably the most panic I had ever doing a ghost hunt because it was just overwhelming. Katie? I panic a lot. Every time I put you guys through something like, uh, you know, what you went through at uh, the Hennessy, I mean, that's scary for me. That's always scary for me because, uh, you know, it's like what what could happen to them? How, how far is the spirit going to go? You know, like how far are they willing to go? How far is Dave willing to go? Because that's another thing that worries me. I don't know how far he's willing to go before he just cuts it off, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm always more worried about my teammates than I am myself generally, but so I'd have to say those are the scariest times for me. Yeah, and at Hennessy Mansion in that experiment, they cut it down to I think it's only like three, two, three minutes of the episode. Mm-hmm. We did that experiment. I stayed in that stasis for like 45 minutes. Yeah, it was a long time. Yeah, and it was brutal. Mm. So psychologically and spiritually, just brutal. Thankfully, they cut it down because I'm a complete an utter mess through most of it. And they were able to make me look a little less um, weak, I guess, but uh, we'll see. Well, you're the real deal, Dave. Both you guys are, this is real stuff that happens here. So uh, I'm glad to see that you're continuing on making great shows and, and kind of telling some stories about these areas of the country that we had no idea about. So uh, hopefully we'll see a season two and there's still quite a lot of season one left as well. So a lot of, a lot of bone chilling, blood-curdling adventures to be had, I'm sure. Plenty. Yep. Travel Channel and Discovery Plus every Sunday. For your fans and listeners in the UK, we're on Discovery Plus UK app and the Really Channel. We are in Canada. I know we're going to be in Australia, I think, in November. So we're all over. Just keep look for Ghosts of Devil's Perch. And then I do a recap episode every Tuesday on my program, The Paranormal 60, where KD will come in or Chris Fisk or Cindy, and we recap the episode and talk about some of these behind-the-scenes moments. We share some evidence that didn't make the episode, and we give you a sneak peek in the next week on each and every one. So they can find that on my YouTube channel at The Paranormal 60 as well. You can hear some of those stories live on the yeah. uh, Four Leaf Clover Jericho Cruz, Dave will be making his uh, fourth consecutive appearance. So yes. always great to talk to you, man. Nice, nice to talk to you, Katie. And I look forward to uh, 
to your next adventures, guys. You told you to. Thanks, buddy. Cheers, guys. Thank you.